Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were in Nazareth, here in the Galilee region of Israel, visiting Nazareth Village. It's a fantastic recreation of Nazareth from Jesus' day, and there are actors dressed up in first-century clothing and doing tasks from the first century like carpentry and weaving. We've only experienced the introductory film at Nazareth Village and briefly got to walk along the road in the open-air museum and see Joseph's workshop. We saw the tools Joseph and Jesus would have used as they worked as carpenters uh, or maybe stonemasons. You'll remember that there is a disagreement as to whether Jesus was a carpenter of wood uh, or a carpenter of stone, that is a stonemason. Some of the tools we saw were chisels, sharpening and sanding stones, and a really awesome drill. You basically held on to one end of the drill, which was a longer piece of wood with rope attached to it. And on the other end was a smaller piece of wood. And when you move the big piece back and forth, the smaller one would pivot and could move a nail or something into place. Uh, it's, it's not super techy for our day, but it was pretty cool for them to have something like this. Now, looking ahead to other stops here at Nazareth, we'll go to the Church of the Annunciation, which is where Mary's house is believed to have been, and also where the angel Gabriel came to announce to Mary that she would give birth to Christ. And maybe we'll get to see some of the dig sites, although we'll have to see how much daylight is left at that point. Now, we've already seen Sepphoris with Dr. Eric Myers a few tours ago. Sepphoris is a city also in the Galilee region here, about three miles from Nazareth. And I was initially planning to go to Sepphoris after Nazareth, but when I heard Dr. Myers was available, I wanted to take advantage of having him share his expertise with us. Sepphoris was also a great site, as we got to see what a larger city for the first century would have been like. It was also a city that showed how Jews were able to live in the culture and embrace parts of Greco-Roman culture that was emerging at that time, but not become of the culture. There is a distinction. Maybe you've heard the Bible verses that speak about that before from John chapter 17. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In those verses, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Jesus tells them that they're not to remove themselves from the world. If they did that, they would hide their light and no one could hear of Jesus' redeeming work on the cross. Instead, they were to be in the world. The distinction is that they were not to be of the world and practice the evil that has existed in every generation since the fall of man. I really commend the Jews at Sepphoris for living out this teaching of Jesus. They were able to take elements from the culture, but not lose their religion and beliefs in the process. Uh, For example, the Hebrew zodiac that we saw, right? The zodiac mosaic, which is pagan in origin, illustrates key scenes from Judaism. That Hebrew zodiac 
but it reinterprets the scenes in terms of new styles that were emerging at that time in the world. So the Jews at Sepphoris did something special. They synthesized Judaism with Greco-Roman culture, but they still rejected paganism. The Jews often failed at that. Uh, Their embrace of paganism, looking back, was what led to their exile from the land of Israel, and they're only just now returning. But for those at Sepphoris, those Jews at Sepphoris, they held strong to their core beliefs. They were in the world, participating in the culture, and advancing their technology and hygiene. But they refused to become of the world. They did not embrace paganism. They embraced the one true God, as we all should. Anyways, back to our current stop, Nazareth Village, here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We were just visiting Joseph's shop, or a shop set up like the one we imagine Joseph and Jesus would have worked in. But now let's head next door and see the kitchen. This is currently supposed to be the kitchen of Mary, and we see some pots set out, and that one right over there is suspended over the fire. It looks like something needs to be boiled. Of course, in Jesus' day, the luxury we now experience of being able to flip a switch and heat something wouldn't have existed. So Mary would have had to set up a fire and get it blazing to boil the water and, and then cook with. There are some delicious veggies and fruits around, and I also see some milk over there that looks sweet and, and fresh and yummy. Hmm. Does anyone see any meat? Yeah, I don't either. Remember that Jesus was a Jew. Joseph and Mary were Jewish, and they adhered to kosher standards. So they would not have mixed meat and milk together for a meal. Today, the rule set in place is that Jews must wait six hours between milk and meat, uh, or vice versa. Since it looks like Mary's meal today includes milk, there can be no meat. Well, there's no one in the kitchen right now, But let's walk through this doorway and see if we can find anyone next door. Oh look, here's someone weaving with sheep's wool. Remember walking by the flocks of sheep just outside? Well, yeah, the sheep get sheared and their wool is delivered here to make things with, make garments. Of course, there's work that goes into that, a lot of work. Sheep here are living out in the open and getting into who knows what in the fields and matting up their wool. So the weaver has to wash the wool, unknot it dye it if she wants color, and then spin it so she can easily work with it on the loom. Wow, she's quite skilled. Look at the huge loom in front of her. It's taller than me. There are lots of pieces of thread running up and down it, and she's going back and forth and left and right and up and down, creating a really strong piece of cloth. I wonder what her final creation will be. Maybe a garment to wear, or maybe a blanket. Well, The blanket idea seems a little odd, as it's really hot right now in Israel. You wouldn't want to sleep with a blanket. There definitely wasn't AC in Jesus' day, and beds were just a straw mat, or maybe even just on the ground, sitting on the dirt. I will say that Israel can get quite cold, so blankets have their place. Uh, It actually even snows here in Israel, but not now, not now. It is hot. Well, I don't know what's being weaved, but you can certainly imagine it's going to turn out quite nicely when someone as skilled as this is weaving it. Now, follow me over into this cave. Oh, here we go. Everyone get in tight. It's a cramped space for all of us. 
But look at what we're seeing. There's a big stone trough in the middle with a large piece of wood extending from the middle and then going up to the roof of the cave. So it's, it's vertical. And then there's a circular stone that fits into the groove on the trough. And there's another piece of wood sticking out of it parallel with the floor. There are some other pieces of wood with weights attached to them extending from some of the sides of the trough-like stone, but don't worry about those. Now, attached to that piece of wood that's parallel with the floor is a donkey via a harness. The donkey is walking around in circles. But what's happening as that circular stone moves around the trough-like stone with him? Well, there are a bunch of olives in the trough. You can see them now in the trough of that large stone. And the donkey is crushing them with the circular stone as he moves. And as the olives get crushed, they release their oil, which can be collected. It obviously takes a lot of olives to get just a teeny amount of olive oil. Olive oil was especially prized in Jesus's day for this reason. And that's still true today to some extent, which is why uh, you or I may skimp on using olive oil. I, I certainly do. It's kind of expensive compared to some other types of oil that are easier to harvest and then cook with. Next up here at Nazareth Village, let's check out the wine press. Oh, we have to go outside to see this. It's a little hot, but come on, let's shuffle out of the cave and back out into the sunlight. Okay, so here we are. You'll notice that we're standing on some flattish rocks, and one of the rocks has a scoop in it. Right now, there's actually some standing water in there. Well, in Jesus' day, this would have been a great wine press where people would have thrown their grapes that they picked into the fossa, the depression of the rock, and then danced all over the grapes. I know some of my friends would happily take that job as long as they could put in their AirPods and listen to some music. Unfortunately, this job was not quite as fun and lucrative back in the first century. After washing your feet, you had to just dance and squish the grapes, ramming your feet into the rock as you're doing that until the grape juice was extracted and all the grape skins were floating about. Some fancier wine presses had a drain where the juice could go and then get fermented. Uh, I can't tell if this one has a drain in the rock. I'm trying to get under it right now. I, mm -hmm. Well, alternatively, they could have just ladled the juice out, and maybe that's what they did here. And then the juice went into wineskins and could ferment into wine in about four weeks. Do you know about wineskins? Maybe you know the verses in the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus says you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Remember that? Well, wineskins were, were just that. They were skins from animals such as goats or sheep that you could sew up and put wine inside to ferment. Of course, fermentation involves production of acid. <laughs> and maybe you'll remember from chemistry, but acid would have just eaten away at that skin, an organic product. And if you tried to put new wine into wineskins that had already been used to ferment wine, you were asking for trouble. Well, now that you know about the process of making wine and how much work it would have taken, you can see why people would have wanted to be careful with where the wine went. Well, we've gotten to see some awesome live exhibits at Nazareth Village here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.
Before we leave, I want to go to the only first century synagogue replica that's in existence. And yes, it's right here at Nazareth Village. Come on this way. So we see that this is a regular building that looks like something from the first century. There's a floor. There is a ceiling supported by lots of stone beams. But unlike what we might be used to in American churches, uh, the seats don't all point one, one way. They don't all point to the front where someone like a pastor stands up and teaches. Instead, the seats, uh, which basically, as you can see, they look like steps and they're carved into the stone, are all around the perimeter of the synagogue. And this is how it would have been in the first century. Everyone looked at each other. And then, of course, we do see a small pulpit of sorts, more like a table, uh, over to the side with the Torah scroll on it. Remember, the Torah is the Old Testament for Christians. Take a seat if you want to enjoy the shade in here. While the synagogue was definitely used for worship, its design made it a great communal center where people could gather, right? As you're sitting down now, you can see all your fellow virtual voyagers. Now, as we learned in the introductory presentation in the theater, synagogue means Beit Knesset. Beit Knesset, house of gathering. So the synagogue could have been used for anything from school to religious practice to judicial proceedings. Oftentimes we think of synagogues only being used for religious practice, but the word synagogue actually means just house of gathering, a place where people can come together. Now you might wonder how they would light this place since it would have gotten dark here at night. Well, that's where oil lamps come in. These little lamps had a place where you could put oil and then they had a little hole for a string that could stick out and you could light the string on fire and it would perpetually burn and create a small flame using the oil. Well, that is until the oil ran out. In fact, as we make our way outside of this synagogue, everyone pick up one of these replica oil lamps. They're free and they make a great souvenir. You can try lighting one at home and showing your friends what oil lamps from the time of Jesus were like. Okay, they're very breakable, so make sure you take care and don't squish them or you're going to have a mess of broken clay shards all over. And I know from firsthand experience. As we start to make our way back to the bus, Enjoy the sights here at Nazareth Village. I love seeing the animals in their pastures kept from wandering by wood fences that don't have modern nails or chains or mesh. It's all made out of wood and then some rope. Look, I even see someone over there putting out new hay. <laughs> Looks like the sheep are happy. And there are so many olive trees all around us. You can see why you needed a huge olive press here in this region. Olive trees just abounded and still do. And people wanted to take advantage of the product of the olive tree. Now, something that wouldn't have been here in the first century, uh, but I'm not going to complain, are the fans and misters we're enjoying as we walk along this path. Uh, it's just so hot out here and there's little shade. So I'm thankful Nazareth Village thought ahead to keep us cool. Well, I think we've nearly exhausted all that can be seen here at Nazareth Village, so let's make our way back to the bus. We do have a bit of a walk along the dusty dirt path with animals on either side, and watch out for all the loose stones and hazards on the path. Please, let's all make it back to the bus safely. 
Actually, before we hop back on the bus, we should stop in the Nazareth Village Cafe and enjoy some authentic first-century food. It looks like what's being served today is a traditional meal of chicken. And then there are some awesome sides. Everything is set out, so let's sit down and dig in. First, we have some fire-baked flatbread. I just love the char marks on it. Enjoy putting your chicken inside the flatbread and adding some hummus or labna dip, which is yogurt and wheat. I know, it sounds odd, but it's actually amazingly delicious. Yogurt and wheat. Ooh, you can also try za'atar, uh, which is a, a spice blend that you can add to the bread, and we have had it before. Remember, za'atar is a blend of crushed spices. And in my opinion, it's any taste bud's dream come true. Ooh, pass the olives, would you please? I love fresh olives, especially when they're coming fresh off the olive trees that we just saw outside. Yum! And of course, there's a healthy dessert option. Apple slices with date spread. Dates are super popular in Israel, and oftentimes people turn them into a jam of sorts. Dip the apples in, or eat the apples plain. It's all going to be amazing. Well, now that we're all stuffed full, why don't we hop back on the bus and head to our next stop, the Church of the Annunciation, here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. It's a church that is supposedly built over the Virgin Mary's house, the same house where the angel Gabriel came to tell Mary that she would carry Jesus Christ. The tradition of this being Mary's house is just that. It's a tradition. And so we'll discuss more about its authenticity and see what it scores on the authenticity meter when we get there. For now, we have about a three-minute drive to the church, it's just under three quarters of a mile, so I suppose we could walk, but I know you all are stuffed from our meal, so I'm having Mikael, our driver, take us to the doorstep of the church. While we drive, let's keep up with our Hebrew. Last time, we learned how to count one through ten in Hebrew, so let's, let's review together. Ready? Let's all say it aloud. One through ten. Here we go. Achat, Stein, Shalosh, Arba. Chamesh, Shesh, Sheva, Shmone, Tesha, and Aser. Let's do it again a little bit slower. Achat, Shtaim, Shalosh, Arba, Chamesh, Shesh, Sheva, Shmone, Tasha, Acer. Awesome. We only have about two minutes left in the bus before we have to get out. So let's just add a little bit to our Hebrew. We're going to learn just one word, but it's fitting for the place we're going. The word is Hineni. Hineni. It means, here am I. Say it with me. Hineni. And it's really a one-word prayer to God. It's something we can pray throughout the day as you and I desire to submit to God and follow his will. Although, that's a major challenge, at least for me. It relates to Mary, I think, too. When Mary, the mother of Christ, was approached by Gabriel, she was surprised. 
She wondered how she could have a child as a virgin. But Mary's response to Gabriel, which we'll get more into when we're at the church, was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I hear in Mary's words the concept of Hineni. She says she is God's servant. And as I interpret it, as she bows in obedience to God, her heart simply says, Here am I, Hineni. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we head to some other sites in Nazareth. We'll explore the Church of the Annunciation and potentially see some other archaeological digs. You won't want to miss it. I'll see you then.